Uh, I realize when I did the announcement, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Zach Bryan. Um, our senior pastor, Neil, is away on sabbatical, and so some of us are filling in for him. Uh, we're looking forward to him coming back. Uh, we, we want you to look forward to him coming back, too. So, <laughs> so if, if things seem like maybe not as smooth or the sermons aren't quite as good, we're totally doing that on purpose. <laughs> so <clears throat> I thought that was important to tell you right before my sermon. Um, uh, I left my sermon on the seat over there before, and uh, somebody wrote me an encouraging note, and I thought it was really nice, so I thought I'd read it. Zach, it better be good or I'm leaving. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> Cops. <clears throat> All right. Um, we are continuing through the book of James here, and we're going to be studying the first part of chapter 2 today. So uh, let's pray while we get started. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. And I pray that uh, while we're here, you would protect us from error in hearing your word and error in speaking your word. And we depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So what is partiality? Partiality is favoritism. In the Old Testament, including the, the passage that Gannon read earlier, partiality is talked about in the context of, of injustice and a bribe. Deuteronomy 16.19 says, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. As it's talked alongside a bribe, the idea of partiality implies a, a judgment or a change in treatment that is based not on what's right or true, but instead a favoritism that's based on some other status power or wealth or social standing. James gives us an example of what he's talking about. He says, suppose we have a man who walks into our meeting here with all the external trappings of wealth, a gold ring, fancy clothes, and based on those external ex uh, observations, we give this man all kinds of attention. Here, sit in this fine chair up in the front, Maybe here it would be, sit in this fine chair in the middle, because that seems to be <laughs> the more honored position. Um, and at the same time, someone else comes in wearing shabby clothes, obviously poor. And instead of the attention that the rich man got, the man in shabby clothes barely gets the time of day from us. Now, why don't you just stand over there? or you could sit on the floor at my feet. In this example, we see favoritism based on values and the status structure of this world 
and not on the values of the kingdom of God. Honor and preference is given to the rich man, and the poor man is dishonored. James says if we do this, if we make these discriminations, we become judges with evil thoughts. And I think on one level we can all say, yeah, it's not right to, to treat the shabby clothed man like that. But I also think that it's reality that we're all prone to partiality, to playing favorites. So let's talk a little bit about how we do that and why we do it. And then we'll spend time looking at why partiality is not compatible with faith in Jesus. So first, uh, how and why we play favorites. Well, James's example is certainly not out of date. Uh, in all the world around us, and, and I'm sure in here too, the rich are often deferred to because of their wealth, because of what might be gained by playing favorites to them, by getting on their good side. And I hope that's not a driving factor in our interactions within this church, but that tendency is in all of us. And if we don't show favoritism based solely on somebody's wealth, what are other areas that we, that we see that play out? Uh, if I don't have a tendency to treat people differently based on the clothing they're wearing, my children would tell you that that has less to do with my pure heart and more to do with the fact that I can't tell the difference between fancy clothes and shabby ones. <laughs> and, and they probably have a point. But it's important to remember here that James is not just talking about rich and poor, but about partiality. James is using a readily accessible ex example to show how we make assessments of people and then stratify how we treat them based on worldly and self-centered values. So I can't just say the, sheep, the, <laughs> the chic and shabby clothing thing doesn't confront me, so I'm off the hook. Here's an example of it in my own life. Last week, already preparing for this very sermon on not showing partiality, I was at work waiting for something disastrous to happen to somebody. And, and that's okay because I'm a firefighter and paramedic and that's what we do. Uh, Phil would say that's all we do is just sit around and wait. <laughs> But I'm there at work, and in walks one of my colleagues. And, uh, and he's that guy. He's not necessarily easy to like. And some of that he earns, and some of it is just intolerance of the people around him. And those two things get all tangled up, and it's hard to tell which is which. So there I was, and my natural tendency kicked in. I started thinking about my coworker, my relationship with my coworker, in terms of how it would affect me. I didn't want to be seen as being too friendly with this guy, because, well, then people would think that I like him and that we're buddies, and they'll start to think about me like I know they think about him, and I don't want that. Um, so I start to show him that he can just stand over there. I distanced myself from him. I gave short, kind of non-engaged, replies to his enthusiastic conversation, and, and I even subtly put him down in conversation in an effort to align myself with the others in the room. 
essentially saying, here, you can sit at my feet. My judgments of him were based primarily on what I thought his social status in the group was going to do for me. I was looking at, at him in terms of my interaction with him, uh, what my interaction would, with him would do for or against my reputation with other people. And in doing that, I was quick to treat him poorly. In fact, I was so focused on these outward things that I was working to align myself with people that I know treat this man in a way that is against how God thinks of him. It's right in parallel with our text. Back to James's example, starting in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, uh, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And are they not the one who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Remember, James says, God has a different economy. And you're so focused on the worldly trinkets and status that you will pander to the very people that oppress you and that are going against God while mistreating and thinking yourself somehow better than the very people that God has chosen to show his love to. Right, now in contrast to my my self-centered judgments and action based on worldly values in that situation, let's look at a true standard. Back up to verse one. James could have said, my brothers, show no partiality. It's a complete sentence. Gets the instruction across. But he doesn't stop there. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Partiality is not compatible with faith in our Lord. So let's look at the Lord, the author of our faith, and the way that he looks at people. Uh, as Neil was preparing for sabbatical and giving us our preaching assignments, he mentioned that uh, he was finding it more difficult than he thought it would be to divide the book up into neat sections. So I'm going to take that as permission to borrow a few verses from the passage that Wes preached last week. Uh, I'll, I'll put them back when I'm done. And uh, Brian, I know, took a verse from Charles the first week. So if Neil asked, Brian did it first. <laughs> So going back to to verse 26 of chapter 1, we read, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The Old Testament is full of passages noting God's care for the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, and the poor. Since it's Father's Day today, I counted, and there are at least 40 references to fatherless, either describing God's care for them, instructing his people to care for them, or describing his wrath against those who don't care for them. 
These people, poor, widows, fatherless, have little power or standing to care even for themselves. But God's heart is seen in his care for these. In Zechariah 7, 8, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And in his time on earth, Jesus spent much of his attention on those whom the culture of his day looked down on. The sick, blind, lame, tax collectors, and those whose sins were outwardly obvious. So our text in verse uh, 27, we see James talking about how God's heart should be translated in our action as we care for widows and orphans. And then he trans- transitions nicely, James transitions nicely into our text about partiality. I can see James saying, oh, and speaking of people who God cares about, who are in no position to help themselves, make sure that you're not judging people by worldly standards or by what you think they can do for you. This is not the way that God thinks about people. And as you are, through Christ, a willing part of his kingdom, you should not be thinking that way either. In the passage that Gannon read, Jehoshaphat instructed the judges that he appointed and reminded them that they were not in it for themselves or for the richest or for the most powerful, but they were representing God and the values of his kingdom. Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there's no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. Okay, uh, I'm a little more than halfway through my short sermon, and I've gone backwards in the text so far. Um, (laughs) Neil will be back soon. Uh, But just one more point on that that first verse in chapter 2 before we move a little further. James wrote, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And I don't know for sure why James added the descriptor, the Lord of glory, at the end of that verse. But it's interesting to contrast the things, the fine clothes or the gold ring or the nice car or the shiny career or whatever it is that might make us either sinfully pander to someone who we think can give us an advantage or uh, sinfully be condescending to someone who we think for some reason is below us. Take all those things and compare them to the glory of Christ. Listen as Jesus is described in the first chapter of Colossians. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the church, our head of the body, the church, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen to that, and then you think, you know, we're making judgments about each other based on trinkets and, and puny earthly power. All right, let's continue uh, starting in verse 8 of chapter 2. If you really fulfill the royal law according to this scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. James is quoting Leviticus 19 here and and a summation of how we are to, to treat people. This is royal law given to us by our king. Uh, let's uh, want to look at a few of those verses in Leviticus 19. Well, and I'm going to start in verse 9, and I'm just going to skip down through a few of them. When you harvest, you shall not strip your vineyard bare. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not swear by my name falsely. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. And then verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this list of how the Israelites are to treat each other and to treat the sojourner in their land, um, all interspersed with a reminder that I am the Lord. And this, this Lord is... Yahweh, the very present God for Israel. He's saying, this, this is my heart, the way that you treat people like this. This is, this is how I want you to do it. I'm your God, you're my people, so this is how I want you to treat my people and to treat others. James reminds us that if we show partiality, we are transgressors of the royal law. We are sinning because we are acting in a way that is out of step with God. All right, the next few verses, I admit, are, were a little bumpy for me. Um, James wants us to know that what we do matters. And he makes that clear. Um, he impresses on us that there will be an accounting for our actions. And so as he closes out this section on partiality, starting in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's start with the law of liberty. James refers to it first in in chapter one, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Wes preached on that last week, and we see that perfect law seems to be used, if not interchangeably, very closely to the word found in verses above it. And going even back further to the passage that Charles preached, we find the word of truth referring to the gospel. So I think it is, it is reasonable to talk about the law of liberty, the royal law, the law of God fulfilled in Christ. And under that law of liberty, we are not slaves to sin. But we shouldn't read this as being a softer law or a law with a lower standard. All right, let's, let's go to the next portion. For judgment is without mercy to one who has not shown mercy, or has shown no mercy. That makes sense, sounds familiar. We ask for forgiveness as we forgive others. What about the last part of that verse? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That sounds nice, but, but what does it mean here? Is this a trump card to the accounting that James warns us of, warns us of in verse 12? I don't think so, because then the last verses would read something like, make sure that you're speaking and acting in a way that is going to be judged by God's standard, but in the end, mercy wins, so don't stress about it. And I don't think that's right. <laughs> I think that mercy triumphing over judgment is better read not as the mercy that God has on us, though he certainly overflows with it. And, and all of our lives here are underpinned by that. But I think that it's better read is about saying that this is the mercy that we, in our interaction with others, apply over our judgments on them. I think, and I want Brian and the other elders to come and speak to me afterwards if, if I'm missing this, but I think that the verses could be paraphrased this way. So make sure that you are speaking and acting toward each other in a manner that reflects God's view of justice and God's way of valuing people because you're going to be judged by the standards of his law. Show mercy to the people that he shows mercy to, because judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. And the mercy that you show in your interactions with people triumphs over your measly judgments. All right, I said this was a short sermon. Um, so, go this week remembering to look at each other from God's perspective. Not judging each other, thinking about each other, treating each other um, in a self-centered way based on wealth or other status that isn't what God values.
And let me, let me leave you with this. 1 Corinthians 1.26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly's, to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We are all dependent on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love in our lives. Thank you for your upside-down economy. And I pray that we can follow hard after you and look at each other and look at the people in the world as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.